Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today is our 100th podcast from Bethesda Church, and we have a guest speaker. Anthony Lind is the youth pastor at Bethesda, and today he will be sharing a message entitled, How Shall We Worship? We encourage you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 4 and follow along. Well, if you look at the title, maybe you saw it in your bulletin as you came in this morning, and um, you see, uh, How Shall We Worship? Uh, Hopefully you didn't look at it and start to grumble and maybe groan and thinking how we're going to be talking about, you know, should we be contemporary, should we be traditional, Um, you know, the so-called worship wars, you know, all the the catchy phrases that you've heard. that reminds me, though, of a story I read about two church attenders. I'll let you fill in your own stereotypes. I won't provide them for you. Um, and the one was, uh, it was after church, and they were talking, and uh, the one, the lady, she said, uh, she was complaining about a particular song that was sung that morning, and she just, you know, she didn't like it. She wasn't really fond of contemporary music um, anyways, and it was kind of that style, and um, so she was complaining a little bit about that to her friend, and uh, friend said, uh, well, you know, she's complaining because it was a new song, you know, and so she, friend said, well, actually, that's, that's not a new song, that's, that's a really old song, like, that was, that's a song that David sung to Saul, you know, referencing the fact that it was probably, it was right out of scripture, you know, it was a song that David sung to Saul, and so, well, the first lady replied, she said, well, now, for the first time, I understand why Saul threw the javelin at David, <laughs> right, so, I'm not here, honestly, to talk about worship styles, what are your preferences um, this morning, um, but I'm just kind of here to share what God has been teaching me the past few weeks um, as, um, just as I get into his word, and it kind of all stems from a message I heard um, on, uh, from uh, uh, Dr. James Ford, he's on Moody Radio, um, it was called A Prescription for Praise, um, that challenged my thinking on worship. Um, and it challenged me because I, I respect him as a pastor very much. And what he was saying, um, he's basically saying that Scripture prescribes ways of worshiping and praising God that I don't necessarily find in my own life. And so now I come to a divide, okay? I've got um, somebody that I respect who's saying this is what Scripture says. So then, you know, what am I going to do about it? I can ignore it and just keep on going where I want to go. Um, or I could go back to Scripture and say, you know, is this, is this really accurate? Is this true? Um, how does this affect me? And do I need to change? What, what am I going to change? Um, or do I need to change? So I started some, doing some digging, some studying. And uh, hopefully this morning is a somewhat coherent explanation of the result of that. Um, but I'm going to actually pray again real quick and just ask God to be with us. Heavenly Father, just ask that you would um, fill us with your Holy Spirit, open up our eyes to the truth uh, that is found in your word um, and that you would be working in us this morning through your word and through your Holy Spirit. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so as we begin this morning, see if we can figure this out. Um, probably be helpful for me to give you a definition of worship because when I say worship, I could ask five different people in the room and I'd probably get five different, somewhat different answers, right? I mean, you could say, well, is it just singing? Is it lifestyle? What is it? What are we going to be talking about this morning? Um, and simple definition um, that I got from John Piper, um, and I'm indebted to uh, 
a, a chapter in his book, Desiring God on Worship, uh, for some of the material here this morning, is that um, worship is a way of gladly reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth. Worship is a way of reflecting, of gladly reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth. So if that is our definition of worship, uh, the question still remains, how then shall we do that? What does it look like to gladly reflect back to God that radiance, what he is worth, how awesome, how amazing he is? So if you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4, um, we see somewhat unlikely um, answer to this question in uh, the story of the Samaritan woman and Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. So if you go to John chapter 4, um, we're going to jump in a little bit later in the chapter, but just to kind of to refresh your memory on the story, um, Jesus is traveling from one end of Jerusalem, or not Jerusalem, one end of Israel to the other end of Israel. Kind of right there in the center is what they would call Samaria. Samaria. And uh, the Samaritans were um, basically Jews who had intermarried with the pagan cultures around them. And so there was, there was conflict between Jews and Samaritans. Jews did not like Samaritans. Samaritans did not like Jews. Um, there's just this ethnic, in a sense, racial conflict that they had with one another. So usually a Jew would go, actually, he would avoid the whole area. He wouldn't even go through. He just, no sense messing with that problem. I'm going to avoid it altogether. Go around this area of Samaria. But Jesus said no. And I thought it was interesting in verse 4 how it puts it. He had to pass through Samaria. It wasn't an option for him for some reason. Um, so they didn't get along. They'd go around. Um, but as they come to this well, uh, Jesus sits down, sends the disciples into town, says, go get some food. It's been a long day traveling. It's, it's about noon, about lunchtime. Um, and this woman comes out to draw water from the well, all alone, by herself, at a not normal time of the day. If you're thinking Israel, um, hot, a lot hotter than South Dakota. I wouldn't go in the middle of the day when it's sun's at its highest, it's hottest outside. Um, so she's obviously coming to avoid other people. And she and Jesus um, have this conversation. Um, and really, when you look at it, Jesus is attempting to make a genuine worshiper, a genuine follower out of this, this lady. Um, and, and there's all kinds of reasons why this shouldn't happen. The Jew-Samaritan issue, um, Jesus being a, a Jewish male teacher, they would normally not even talk to a woman. Um, but Jesus is there for a reason, to try to make a worshiper out of this woman. Um, and he pinpoints then the one area in her life, uh, like he usually does, that she doesn't want to talk about, that she doesn't want to deal with, right? She said, he says, go call your husband. She says, well, I don't have a husband. Well, that's not really true. Um, Jesus says that's, that's not true. Um, he, he calls her out on that. And then what does she do? What, what most of us do when Jesus pinpoints that one area? She tries to sidestep the question, right? Let's, not, let's, let's go to something controversial so that we forget about what you were talking about right there, right? And she brings up a very controversial subject for the day of, well, the Jews say you're supposed to worship at this place. We think we're supposed to worship here. Um, you know, she recognizes that he's a prophet, that he's a teacher. So she's like, what, what's, what's real? Um, and so it's kind of at that juncture that we jump into the story at verse 19. So she says, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So she's focused on the where of worship, and Jesus says that's not important. The where isn't important. It's the how and the whom of worship that's important. It's not where you worship. It's the how and the whom. And he says that the important thing is that you worship in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So now, in a sense, we have an answer of how do you worship? It's in spirit and truth. Um, well, what does that look like? How does that, what does that mean? Um, and I think what Jesus, in a sense, is getting here, um, but that worship must have heart and head, emotions and thought. Um, it's not an either or. It's not just in spirit. It's not just in truth. It's a, it's a combination, right? One of the, my fascinations with people and, and just humanity in general is why we love extremes so much, right? We'll swing the pendulum one way and we'll just go all out for this extreme and it'll go the other way and we'll all out for this extreme. It's like, how come we, we can't find that balance, it seems like, in the middle? <clears throat> um, and I'll be honest and say that I'm more comfortable with the thought part of worship, right? The thinking the head, um, that's just me, contemplating, thinking, introspection. Um, I'm more comfortable with that. Uh, a lot of that maybe have to do with the personality that God gave me. Uh, Pastor Roy talked about personalities a few weeks ago. Um, some personalities are just, that's more how God made them. Others, not so much. Um, but I think a lot of it, honestly, also has to do with how I was raised and the fact um, how my family shows emotion, or in my family's case, and if, in a sense, uh, I rarely saw emotion shown. Um, and so that has a lot of it, I think, to do as well. So what I have come to realize these last couple weeks is that how I worship, me personally, is largely influenced by my personality and my upbringing. Now, if those things align with what we see in Scripture, that's great. That's fine. But if they don't necessarily align with what we see in Scripture and how worship and praise to God is supposed to be, uh, how we're supposed to do that, then, then I've got to change. There's something that's got to change. Um, I, I can continue to worship God how I've always done it, but I have a dilemma now, right? Okay? And let's be honest. When Usually when God, God brings an issue like this up in your life, right, rarely does it, your, your life usually line up exactly with Scripture the way it's the way it's said in Scripture, right? I mean, usually he's, he's bringing this to your attention because something needs to change. We need to, you need to do a, a course change maybe, right? So when God brings up that area, you have to ask that question that whether it's in line with the Word of God. Um, there's always room for improvement, usually, this side of heaven, no matter what. Um, so in speaking of heaven, if, if, you, if you just happen to glance over at Revelation 4... Let's get a glimpse 
of what is going on in heaven. Revelation 4 says, this is a, a, a vision that John had of heaven. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created." So that's going on in heaven. That's what it looks like right now around the throne of God. <clears throat> so if we look, if we are to worship in spirit and truth, like I said, what does that look like? How do we define that? What does it look like on a personal level, on a corporate level? How is worship and praise expressed in our lives? If worship is a way of gladly reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth, what does it look like? Um, I decided that I needed to go back to Scripture and see what does it look like? How, where, where, what do I see in the Bible? Because like I said, we tend to gravitate towards those extremes. And maybe a good picture of this um, spirit and truth um, to kind of maybe help you picture it in your mind is um, I remember when I was younger, um, up until we moved when I was in about fourth grade, our house had a, a wood fireplace, right? As in, some of you maybe grew up with that. And there's nothing better in the middle of winter when you wake up and your dad's been awake before you um, and, and you go and there, he's already stoked that wood fireplace and it's, it's really warm, right? It's nice and warm. Maybe it's a really cold South Dakota winter day. The wind's blowing. And just standing next to that is just amazing, right? Maybe if you've never experienced, you just don't know what that's like. Um, or you're out sledding or you're out in the cold and you come in and it's just like, you're, you know, you're chilled to the bone, but standing next to that, it's just, I mean, it's almost instant, right? Um, so we look at, we're going to look at that picture of a fireplace. But what, what does a fireplace feel like if it's not being used? Especially a nice steel one, right? You put your hand on there. It's cold. It's bitter cold. It's dead cold, right? 
So it needs that heat inside of it. So um, John Piper, he, he, uh, he used this illustration, um, the fact that when we look at, let's look at a fireplace, and let's picture the fuel of worship is the truth about God, that, that wood, right? The fuel, what, what makes the fire continue to go. It's that truth about God. What do we know about who God is and how he works? Uh, the fire or the spark that gets the fire going maybe that's an old song that some of you remember when you were little, is the Holy Spirit, right? He's, he's the one, he's the fire that provides the heat. The furnace or the, the stove itself is us, our, our spirit, who we are. Um, and the heat that comes out of that is our outward affections and our actions in worship, okay? So the fuel of worship is a true vision of the greatness of God, the fire that makes the fuel burn white hot is the quickening of the Holy Spirit. The furnace made alive and warm by the flame of truth is our renewed spirit, and the resulting heat of our affections is powerful worship, pushing its way out in confessions, longing, acclamations, tears, songs, shouts, bowed heads, lifted hands, and obedient lives. Okay, so that's, that's the picture kind of of what a balanced life will look like in spirit and truth. The truth of God and who he is with the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, infusing us and warming us to the fact that the outpouring of our lives, the heat is reflecting back to God that radiant worship. And there's, like I said, there's danger when you have one without the other, right? It's kind of the same way. A fire doesn't work without both the fuel and the spark. If you have the spirit without truth, then you, you tend to end to swing towards that pendulum of uh, emotionalism. Um, and there's, there's a shallowness, in a sense, to the worship because you really don't know who God is if you don't know the truth about God. And it, and it tends to be maybe just more emotionalism. Um, and if you go the other way, you swing the other way, and you have the truth about God without the Spirit, really it's kind of a, a dead orthodoxy. It's like a fire sitting there with wood in there. And doing nothing, in a sense. It's, it's dead. It's cold. Um, it's not there. It's artificial. So an example of the spirit without the truth, where its emotion might be the Corinthian church that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And since there was, there was chaos, there was disorder, and Paul's saying, you, you know, you've got to have, you've got the spirit, now you need to maybe, you need to swing back towards the truth part of it a little bit, Right? Um, an example of the truth without the Spirit would probably be the Pharisees. And I think it's in Matthew um, 15, verses 8 and 9, where Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. They knew the truth. They didn't have the Spirit of God um, to, to bring that alive. So if we look back at our illustration um, of the furnace, it helps us to gauge uh, whether or not our worship is in line with Scripture, is in spirit and truth. Um, are we reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth? Are our actions and our affections, if we look at those, they will help us gauge whether the fuel and the spark have started that fire inside of us. Uh, so let's look then at some expressions in Scripture of, that we see of how worship is done in the scriptures. 
Um, we go back and say, how does worship, what does it look like in the Bible? And then we say, is, is our life in line with that? Um, right off the bat, the first thing you see is the main words for worship in both the Old Testament and the New Testament in their original languages of Hebrew and Greek carried the idea of bowing down or kneeling. Um, and I think, I did put it up there. Um, kind of get the first three. But the first one is like the idea of bowing down or kneeling in worship. Um, Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7, it says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Um, there's idea of respect and reverence and, and really servant, like the servant idea of bowing down and worship, giving him that total surrender of our lives. Um, and then in the New Testament, the main word for worship, you th- see it throughout the New Testament, is, is to, means to kneel down, to bow down. Um, and even in our passage in John 4, that word, that when you see worship in John 4, that's what it meant, to bow down, to worship and, and bowing down. So there's that physical posture of bowing or kneeling down. So we see right from the start that worshiping God involves a physical whole body expression. It's not just lip service. It's not just our mouths. It's, it's, a, it's a whole body expression. Um, it's not speaking or just singing. Um, all those, those are both valid forms of expressing worship and praise to God as well. Um, it's, it involves a, a, a bowing down, a physical whole body experience. But singing and and speaking are, are expressions of worship as well. If you look at Psalm 34.1, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Um, speaking, singing. Or Colossians 3.17, it says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So singing is a, is a common expression of worship to us. That's not foreign to us or believers in Scripture. Um, and if you look at the verse right before um, Colossians 3.17, um, so we have speaking, and then we have singing in Colossians 3.16. Um, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Um, and, and hopefully you get the point that I'm just hitting highlights, big picture, not going into depth. There's, there's many other passages you could look at. Um, we also see singing to God being admonished throughout the Psalms, right? If you open up the book of Psalms, you're going to find lots of, um, lots of singing, lots of admonishing to sing to the Lord. Um, Psalm 33, verses 1 to 3, it says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody in to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings and with loud shouts. So, singing, speaking, bowing, but then we also see something else in those verses, right? Shouting for joy in verse 1. Shout for joy in the Lord. The end of verse 3, with loud shouts, is a, is a physical expression of worship to God. Um, what does that look like? I don't know. I wasn't there when they were shouting to God. I'm not sure. Um, but I can imagine examples of maybe today would be people saying amen, 
right? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, if you look at that word, hallelujah, it comes straight from a Hebrew word that you find all over in the Old Testament that actually means um, to shine, to make a show, to boast, and thus to be foolish, right? So it, it's, it's all about boasting about who God is, how amazing he is. Um, so there's, there's shouting, there's using instruments, making instruments, giving thanks. These are all valid forms of expressing worship to God. Um, but let's not remember why are they doing these things. It's not just an outward expression. If you read on in verses 4, uh, starting in verse 4, it says, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. These are all just outward expressions of the truth about who God is that he realizes inside of him and the Holy Spirit is, is, is quickening in him to, to just an outward overflow of what he knows about who God is. It says, By the word of the Lord, in verse 6, The heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. So his understanding of who God is, just because of that and the Holy Spirit you know, revealing that to him, it's outward expressions where he says, shout for joy, give thanks, sing to the Lord, um, do all these things. And we see a couple more expressions in verses 8 and 9 of um, standing in fear of God or standing in awe of God. And we see that also in Psalm 46, 10. So these, like I said, these are just outward expressions of the truth of Scripture inside of him. <clears throat> Fearing the Lord, standing in awe. Uh, there are times when the greatness of God, the holiness of God, the, justice, the majesty of who God is either brings you to a, a holy, reverent fear um, because you are a sinful human being, or maybe it's just like you're speechless. You're, you're standing in awe. Um, almost if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon and you step out and look at it for the first time. What do you say? <laughs> it's amazing. It's, 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 it's like that. It's standing in awe of who God is. All expressions of worship. Um, a couple more responses that we see from Scripture. Um, one is clapping. Psalm, Psalm 47, verses 1 and 2. It says, Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Um, just another expression of worship. <clears throat> the last two, uh, dancing. If you look in Exodus 15, is the story of Israelites just got out of, out of Egypt. Um, Miriam and, and the women of Egypt express that thankfulness, that joy to God um, by dancing um, to him, for him. Second um, Samuel in chapter 6 as the ark is brought back into Jerusalem, David, it says, is dancing before the Lord because of his excitement of, of having the ark of God, which represents the presence of God, come back to the temple in Jerusalem. Um, Psalm 149, verses 1 through 3, it says, Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. 
Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourines and lyre. And then also in Psalm 150. It says, there's many, there's all these are kind of rolled up in this psalm. Many of them are mentioned again. It says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness, the truth about God. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So just dancing is another expression of worship. Um, and the last one there, lifting up of hands. Uh, if you look in, in Psalm 63, 4, um, and usually when you see the idea of lifting up hands in worship, in the Bible it was more often associated with prayer um, and not necessarily the singing and praise. Um, but it, like it says in First uh, Timothy 2, 8, it says, I desire then uh, that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So, when we see these expressions of worship, um, that they're done as a reflection of the truth about who God is, uh, they're genuine expressions of worship, right? These things, when, when, when somebody who, they understand the truth about who God is, and the Spirit of God moves in them, and it comes out in these ten ways that we just looked at, they're genuine expressions of worship. But it's also important to recognize, right, that these things can be done just as expressions, just as physical acts, right? You can clap, you can dance, you can sing, you can, you know, stand, you can do all of these things without worshiping God. And I can guarantee you there's probably churches, there's people in churches all across the world who do those things on a Sunday morning and it's not worship to God because it's not their heart. Is, like Jesus said, it's their heart in vain because their heart isn't right. The Holy Spirit hasn't, hasn't, worked with the truth of God to inspire and to produce those things. So that's why we need the balance of spirit and truth. It has to be the spirit of God using the truth of who God is and who, what he does to ignite a fire in us that will lead us to genuine expressions that reflect back to God the radiance of his worth. <clears throat> so we end by asking, so what? Why did we look at these verses, these expressions, what, where do we go from here? What do we do? Um, I came across a really good article that had some, some good questions for reflection. And, and that's, I'm not really going to answer them. I'm just putting them out there for you um, to look at, for you to reflect, for me to reflect on my own life. Um, so just I'm going to kind of run through them fair, fairly quick. If you really want them in detail, word for word, um, I can give them to you later but it says assuming that God wants us to exalt him with our bodies what physical expressions of praise in scripture do you think are appropriate in worship and then how do you distinguish between what's appropriate and what's not okay that's that's something you have to go back to scripture and you have to you have to figure that out you, we, you have to answer that um, do you think that all forms of physical expressiveness are natural or can they be learned right if I didn't grow up expressing emotion and, and, and raising my hands or, or shouting amen is not normal for me, 
can that, is that just a natural thing that I can never do, or is it something that can be learned? Are some of these expressions things can be learned? Because I guarantee you, you probably don't want to see me dancing in the aisles right now as an expression of word. It just, it may be, uh, it may be God Spirit working, but it wouldn't look pretty. That's for sure. Um, so, a couple other. Is there a possibility that your resistance to physical expression is more rooted in laziness, lack of understanding? or a craving for people's respect, or I would say a fear of man, and how do you know? Can, can you, is, is God saying maybe one of those things is why I don't want to respond to God in some of these ways? Um, for is singing appropriate for worshiping God? I think we would probably all agree. If so, why not shouting? Or some of these other things that we looked at. And then finally, are there any physical expressions of worship modeled or commanded in the Bible that you've never engaged in? And if so, why not? Um, so here's the conclusion that I came to as I studied for myself um, what I see in, the, in God's Word. Um, instead of expressing the emotions that God stirs in my heart, the reality for me, and you can decide for yourself where you are, is that instead of expressing those emotions that I feel when, when the truth and the Holy Spirit come together and, and something in, you, can, you can feel it inside you, instead of expressing that, I very often suppress them, is what I usually do. Um, the reason I do this is probably a big muddled mess of my personality, my upbringing, um, and a lot of other things, my experiences. Um, but basically, when I think about that, if that's what I'm doing, then I'm suppressing opportunities to worship God, which is one of the main reasons I am created, um, that God created me. So if I'm created to worship Him um, and I'm suppressing that, then that's wrong. And second, often my motivations, and I'm speaking for myself, for suppressing those emotions are fear of what others think around me is, is usually a big thing for me. Um, the Bible calls this the fear of man, and it's not painted in a very good light, okay? And just, just saying that. So if, if that's for me, then how do I change that? I'm not, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out what does that look like for me to try to line up my life with what I see in God's Word. Um, and I'm going to close with a quote um, that I found from that same, same guy that um, had these questions. It says, that in every church, there will be varying degrees of physical expressiveness. While the focus of our bodily expression is God himself, we are called in love to do what is edifying to others as well. 1 Corinthians 14 and 13. That means I don't break into loud shouting and enthusiastic dancing just because I feel like it. I want people to see the glory and the greatness of God, not my physical displays. I also don't assume that those who are expressing themselves in those ways um, are doing so to get attention or hypocritical or insensitive to others. Perhaps God wants me to learn from their unhindered and sincere expressiveness. Right? I mean, we're different. We're all different. We're from different cultures, different backgrounds, different families, and we express ourselves in different ways. And so I'm not here to shame any of you or for, dance, for not dancing, for not shouting, for not singing, for not clapping, for, for whatever, not lifting your hands. Um, but because I'd be a hypocrite, right? Because the old saying is, if I'm pointing my finger at you, 
I've got three, at least three pointed right back at me. Because I, I couldn't say that. I'm not, and that's not the point. Um, but God desires our worship of him to be in spirit and truth. And so the reason I, I bring this is because God brought it to me to help me and to deal with me. And so what areas can you grow in? Uh, where is God challenging you? Um, what does it look like? Is your, does your life look like that furnace, that fire, where the truth of God's word and the Holy Spirit working together to produce that fire that is just, it's, it's going to be an automatic expression. Those expressions of worship are going to come if, if, if those two things are working together in balance in the right way that they're supposed to. Um, and it's, like I said, it's going to look different for everybody. We're not all then going to be shouting and dancing and, and doing all those things. It's just because God created us all different. Um, but how can, we, how can we, as a body, then work together to be unified and to love and to express that worship to God, one another? And, and it happens not only as a corporate thing, but even individually, in your individual lives. Um, do you worship God on your own or as a family? Um, and the things that you do and the things that you say. <clears throat> and maybe you're here this morning um, and your life is as cold as that dead fireplace, right? There is nothing. There is no fire. You've never believed um, and accepted the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the payment of your sin. Uh, but through the truth of God's word that you've heard this morning or before and the Holy Spirit working in you, um, he's trying to light that fire. Um, he's, he's spraying sparks. If you've ever used one of those igniter things, you know, it's, he's, the, the, the truth is there, and he's just trying to spark it and get it going. Um, maybe that's you. Um, don't leave without trying to let us help you light that fire um, that God is trying to ignite in your life. Um, and talk to somebody. Talk to me. Talk to Pastor Roy. Um, anybody who you know has it done that and has that fire and ask them, how do you get that? What does that look like uh, for you? We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.